Welcome to The Rodcast with Rod Turner, the show all about real estate. We discuss everything that affects asset-backed businesses, investments, and go deep into the details with some of the best in the business. So today we are discussing all things relating to retail property, and I've got a fantastic guest joining me to give us some insight into how retail has changed and is changing for the future. Leanne Cattrall is the host of Retail is Dead podcast. She's a qualified commercial surveyor and has been an asset manager for some of the biggest landowners in the country, focusing on leisure and retail. So thank you very much for joining us, Leanne. How are you? Hello. Yeah, I'm good, thank you. I was just saying I'm actually in the office, so it makes a change. Before I press record, you were saying you're, you're 11 out of sort of goodness me so yeah this is being recorded what are we 6th or 7th of august at the moment i'm losing track of days fifth but it's okay all yeah (laughs) (laughs) all melts into one um so leanne do you want to explain a little bit about what it is that you do and what what is the podcast about retail is dead yeah, no, sure. Um, so I actually work in retail in the West End. I work for one of the landed estates. Um, so my primary job is to curate um, and monitor the financial performance of the assets. But actually, a big part of what I'm focusing on at the moment is with Retail is Dead. This is a, um, despite the name, Retail is Not Dead, <laughs> this is a podcast with um, two of my really good friends that actually work in the industry as well. And the three of us, um, I mean, gosh, we've been talking about doing this podcast for such a long time because we felt that there's just a real lack of positivity in the market around retail. Yes, okay, there is a lot going on right now and that can't be ignored. Um, but that's also been coming for a long time there's been a systematic change on the horizon I think we can all say that for retail Um, and we just really wanted to get together and celebrate what's really good about retail and what's really good about retail destinations as well so we don't just focus on brands we focus on places um, whether that be here in the UK or around the world as well so and we also try and get some really um, exciting and relevant guests as well thrown in so um, we've only just released episode two, but we are we've planned the whole <laughs> planned the whole series and series beyond that. So um, stay tuned; it'll be yeah, uh, no, really I, interesting. I, I definitely recommend uh, listeners to have have a listen of that one. Uh, the first one just made me want to go on holiday. I wanted to go. To <laughs> so, kind of going on from that, then, why do you think the media and even when I'm talking to other property investors? are so concerned about retail and how do you think some retail sites differ from one another so where we've got one that might work obviously there's a huge broad range in retail from sort of your Sainsbury supermarket mm. to um, mm. the West End shops to your I don't know parade of shops out in the suburbs so how, how do you kind of define those differences and, and what's working and what's not? So I guess just on the first point of your question with media and and why is there so much attention on it? I think um, at the moment, and it has been for some time, I think the media like to talk about negative things. (laughs) And there's a lot of negative things naturally that are going on in retail. And it has been this way for 
the best part of two, three years, really. Um, there's a lot of chatter about, you know, online challenging physical retail, but, you know, the, the real pioneering and strong retailers out there will say that, you know, you've got to embrace online. And, and those are the ones that the ones that are pivoting and the ones that are adapting are the ones that are surviving as well and, and really understanding their consumer. Um, and then your second question is, um, the second part of the question is, I think, um, how, why are there so many different types of retail? Is, is that what you mean? I, I, or? I guess so. Yeah, I, I suppose I didn't really word it very well. But what I'm trying to get at is when people talk about retail and they make mm. these statements like retail's dead, how can you say that? It's a bit like when people talk about commercial property as a whole. There's so yeah. many different types. And I yeah. always say that like any any property you can be diversified through location, through tenant type and use class. And even within the retail use class, you've still got all these different types that I kind of mentioned before. So I think giving just a, this blanket overview of, of retail being right. Yeah. You know, that's, that's a, a done thing now. Um, it's, yeah. it's a bit of a tricky one really, isn't it? I don't know if you find that as well. It is. Gosh, I think that's like a million dollar question really. Um, retail has evolved over the years and has transformed into lots of different segments of the market like you've said in the UK we've always had a really strong high street it's always been the sense of the community really it's quite different to other parts of the world and very different actually to America and then this um, in recent years as as really transformed when you see things like retail parks and retail shopping centers which have been developed and and these particular functions have sometimes taken away from the high street from a from a community and one example I always um, think of is actually in, in Sheffield I actually went to uni in Sheffield many years ago and um, it's really evident there what Meadow Hall has done yeah. to Sheffield city centre and you can really feel it um, I mean I love Meadow Hall I think it's a it's a great shopping centre I actually used to work there when I was at uni but actually it, it's really taken the heart out of um, Sheffield Sheffield City Centre and that therefore has posed a challenge for Sheffield City Centre going forward it's had to sort of really redefine itself and make sure that it's still relevant and still um, attractive for people to come and, and shop and work and, and, and the rest and, and then I guess gosh throwing Sainsbury's and the likes in there I think that whole sector um, has changed drastically over the past sort of 10 years um, supermarkets now are you know hugely competitive realm I, I don't profess to know a lot about it. there are specialists out there that, that absolutely would probably challenge some of my views but for, for me living in London the whole um, use of or, or purpose sorry of the supermarkets change so I now don't, I don't go to a big supermarket I'm sure you're probably the same actually in Bellum you'll just go to your local um Sainsbury's or whatever it may be and you shop two three times a week um, and, and that meant that has meant that the um, that whole market has changed completely and become gone through sort of a bit of a cycle really it was really competitive sort of five years ago but now I think um, it slowed down quite a bit and you know as is everything else at the moment that everything's sort of turning a circle and people are rationalizing their expansion sort of 10 15 years ago it, retailers wanted 
a store in every single high street, every single shopping centre, whereas now they want a store in the best locations with the best demographic and the best sales and the best transport links. Um, things are just changing. People are being a bit more, um, I'd say, uh, informed with their expansion plans rather than bigger yeah. is better and more is better. I don't think that's the way now going forward for lots of things, not just retail. Yeah, no, I, I think that's probably because there's just so much more information and data available out there now than probably there was as well. That's true. Yeah, that's you very true. You touched on, on one thing which I thought was good there, which was a bit about kind of customer loyalty in terms of these grocery stores. I mean, everyone's got their favourites based on location and based on what they like. And I don't know, it might be that... <laughs> Lidl have an ice cream that I love so I'll go there sort of three times a week or whatever it is but how important do you think that the brand in terms of the customer loyalty and the culture of that brand is for retailers now and can you give us some examples of where you think this has been done really well and also maybe not so well? Yeah I think brand has always been really important um, but I think now it's really important because there are so many different channels you get to engage with your consumer as a brand before it was just a physical store um, now it's a physical store it's online it's social um, you, you know your website it's completely different the language that you use um, is really important now your service is even more so important the experience is is almost emphasized because people don't necessarily have to come into your store so you need to ensure for people to understand the brand they need to be attracted to come into your store so um i think brand is more more important than it than it ever has been and and really identifying with a brand um is, is really important as well from a consumer point of view um examples of good brands i always find it's really hard to think of good because i think there are so many brands that absolutely nail it i mean i was thinking about this last night actually and the obvious ones to me are brands like nike because it has such a great identity it's, it's got great heritage um, it really engages with its consumers on a personal level but yet it's probably one of the well it is one of the biggest retailers in the world um, but yet it still feels really personal they engage with their community really well um, and another example I think again it's really scripted and it sounds very typical but I think Apple um, they're a great brand uh, you know whilst there might be parts of Apple that frustrate people, but actually, you know, what they stand for, what they've done to that whole market, they've completely disrupted it. Yeah. They, um, it's a great brand. It's a great product. Um, they've got a really clear identity of who they are. Um, and I think that's, that's really important for, for brands is that it's very clear. Brands that do it badly, gosh. <laughs> Again, don't want to speak ill of brands. But I guess you'd say those that are struggling right now, um, okay, there's lots of reasons why brands are struggling right now. There's added pressure on P&L and there's all sorts of issues going on with suppliers and property costs, et cetera, and funding from, with the banks. But um, I'd say that those that are struggling with identity and, and right now are those that haven't adapted and those that probably necessarily haven't embraced online let's say or embraced 
the what true experience means in a store um there are a few of those casualties at the moment um department stores are getting quite bad press at the moment because they haven't adapted i mean on one end of the scale you've got someone like selfridges who absolutely have always adapted and are always pioneering always at the forefront of what they're doing then on the other end you have people like Debenhams and dare I say the others um where they just haven't changed do you think that's a lot to do with the locations of those because obviously Selfridges has got the prime locations where everyone in and Debenhams are probably more I mean they're they're not bad locations but they're in more localized kind of high streets do you think that's got much to do with it or do you think it's more from that kind of brand loyalty where um selfridges even though it's probably selling other brands people are are happy Mm. to go there and go and sit in the cafe at the top and have a glass of champagne things like that versus debenhams where i don't know you might grab a cost of coffee Coffee. (laughs) (laughs) yeah i think it's it's kind of in the dna of 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 which ever brand we're talking about so selfridges yeah of course location is really important and they've they've built their foundation from an incredible flagship on oxford street that's almost famous all around the world um but they've been really considered with their expansion they they didn't just go to any city um they they i mean i actually used to work with selfridges they used to one of my clients and they are so meticulous about absolutely everything you wouldn't believe the the amount of thought and consideration that goes into that store and every single minor detail and every customer engagement is is well thought through and every brand in order for it to be stocked in there you know it has to go through a rigorous process there's a dedicated brand team that from memory there's a lot of people in that team um and so yeah location of course helps them but just the way that they operate as a business is is why they're successful mm. um and why that you know having that yellow bag is is definitely much uh, stronger than having other colored bags Absolutely. um and then i'd say something like debenhams it, it's slightly different they they wanted to appeal to a different consumer they wanted yeah. to be more high street more accessible which I, you know i don't fault them for that there, there was a market for that um, and it wanted to feel more homely when you're in the store and they wanted to relate to, to more people. Um, and for that reason, they expanded quickly and in lots of, lots of towns across the UK. Um, but I think, you know, if you, the difference between walking into a Debenham store and walking into a Selfridges store, it just, it, it doesn't really compare, um, for me personally, but yeah, I yeah. mean, everyone's different. The, some people may want to it's, well, it's obviously Selfridges. Yeah, but the, the proof is in what's happening, right? Well, it's, true. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> true. <laughs> and how much money they turn over. Well, yeah. I mean, also on, on the Nike um, one, I, I don't know if you, well, I, I know you have read it, haven't you? The um, shoe dog. Uh, yeah, well, it wasn't me actually. It's the um, that's it. on my yeah. <laughs> it's, it's such a great book, and the thing I loved about them was early on they kind of realised the power of influencers mm. and got and started getting these high-profile people into their shoes, which kind of catapulted it yeah. all across. And 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 that was quite interesting how that's working. And again with. I know we're kind of going a bit off piste here, but there's there's like companies like Gymshark that I don't even know if they've got premises, but they've kind of done that really well. And yeah. This this whole 
online thing has clearly um, become a big deal. So that kind of brings me into our, our next question, which is kind of linked to that one, which is how do you think retailers and their customers' journey is changing? And what are some of the ways in which retailers are adapting in order to stay afloat? So especially now during... I mean, not just during COVID, but before that, where we talked about online t- taking away, and you kind of mentioned it mm. with Nike and the, and, and, the, and the whole experience-led kind of element of retail. How is that customer journey changing, do you think? I think customer journey, if it's in a store, is relatively relatively similar to what it will always be. Um yes there are you can tweak that and there's technology to enhance certain parts of that experience and um but generally speaking a good physical retailer will always nail that i think it's it becomes two trends that i've seen anyway um more at a holistic level for brands and and that consumer journey sort of starts in my eyes from when you first see that brand or you see whether whether it's on a billboard or you see a tweet or a, a picture on instagram you're starting to form a judgment and um for me personally again someone that always likes to understand the true meaning behind a brand before i can engage with it further um transparency is a really important thing at the moment and um actually linking back to nike and, and various other brands um transparency mm-hmm. around um blm at the moment is is a huge huge important factor and there's been so many brands that have been caught out for it unfortunately and and some brands that i i really love that have been caught out for its sort of reformation and to name just a few one sorry um and then i think another point is sustainability is becoming more important for consumers and part of that journey um if you are someone that likes to think you you are sustainable or if you're just someone that wants to be making a difference because I think consumers now want to feel like we're part of that movement whether it's very small you know not using carrier bags in your local supermarket through to um, wearing recycled clothes or whatever it may be I think that sustainability is is hugely at the forefront of retailers and and those again those retailers that get this those that are doing really really well in this field Um, and there's also some retailers that don't profess to be sustainable that admit that and I think that's great because again being transparent and honest with people right now and when the world is it's crazy at the moment for lots of reasons um, people are just wanting that sort of honesty and um, I think in turn that gives loyalty really which massively links back to that question Definitely. Yeah. And it's interesting you kind of talked about sustainability because I've spoken to a couple of other guests on on the show. Um, Gavin Gallagher, who's who's big on sort of office space, and that was Mm. his number one thing. He was like, they've got Google, Oracle, these types of brands that are in their spaces. And they said the only way they can keep them there is by being at the forefront of sustainability and being green and and having the most up-to-date stuff in in their buildings so i think i think that's not just retail that's kind of that is a big movement that's that's really taking over everything it's the same when we're looking at building retail space where i work you know it has to be sustainable we need to be thinking about 
um, when leases come to an end, how they're handing back units. Do we really need to ask them to strip everything out anymore? Is that sustainable? Because we're just going to, someone else is just going to put it right back in. So um, it's all these things that we've just done for years because we thought they were the, the way to do things, but actually it's, um, you know, it's time to sort of change and sustainability. Why not, why not champion something that, that's benefiting the environment? So yeah, definitely. Really, and so in terms of um, landlords and investors, what should investors look for in terms of retail tenants for the future? So um, maybe if you're, and obviously this might be a bit different, for example, if you're a prime city centre, high street location, or maybe you're more of a localised secondary parade, what are some of the things that... Um, that those investors should be looking for in terms of the retailers that are potentially going in into their sites who knows right now um covenant of course is king but at the moment what does a covenant mean this is kind of an interesting point so would you let's let's take the second part of that question so we've got the secondary parade do we now want, um, especially what we've seen through COVID, where you've got mm. some of your more blue chip tenants with big balance sheets that have come in and suddenly now they're calling the shots and you've got no very, it's very difficult to motivate them to maybe pay their quarter rent, mm. things like that, versus having an independent tenant in there who's got a personal guarantee signed up to it, who's far more motivated That's to actually true. get that done. I mean, at the moment, I'm not sure if I'm a landlord, which one I'd prefer. Um, it's, it's quite tricky, really. Um, but it yeah. Is. <laughs> <laughs> it is. And I think if I knew the answer, um, I'd definitely be really senior where I am. <laughs> you know, I, I don't think anyone really knows um, the true answer for that. I mean, I think it's a really valid point that you just brought up there. Um, you know, independents are sometimes easier to deal with because you're dealing with the principal always, the, the decision maker, um, and they're also what they give back to your destination. They always add something a bit special, um, and you know, really focusing on that community aspect. But I appreciate from an in, investor's point of view that it's not the most reliable source of source of income. Well, I think I think you hit the nail on the head there with community, especially for those kind of secondary, maybe not the, the big yeah. high street prime centre. That is where you want that community engagement, like you said. Um, and, and that can almost bring with it the brand loyalty and yeah. the footfall coming and it, it becomes almost like in its own bubble, a destination venue because it's already built that. Yeah, I think but, it's um, a nice mix of everything in an ideal world you would always still want your blue chip companies um you'd always want that reliable source of income coming in um and but at the same time you want those interesting spaces you don't want chains and i'm thinking more on the fmb front actually you don't want chain after chain you want to have that sort of independent feel because that's how you'll get customers coming back and strengthen your destination but um, I actually wanted to mention that um, I think all of this is going to completely be turned on its head um, in the next sort of couple of years um, in the way that we're valuing retail um, has to change. 
um, the recent announcement that LNG posted with the move towards um, turnover leases yes. is absolutely genius, really, that someone of that status has done that. Um, you know, I, I do you want to just not, quickly explain a bit about kind of how that works for the for the listeners there? Yeah, sure. I mean, I'm not sure I'll do it in much detail, but they uh, they basically announced a three-tier ap- approach to their retail leasing. So I think, I can't remember the names of them, but um, one was more offering a short-term leases, so I think three to 36 months, um, white box space. So effectively what that means is that it's an enhanced shell, yeah. um, and that would be for independent retailers. And then I think there was a midway, which was sort of three to five years, which was turnover only. Um, and that's just taking a percentage of that turnover, is it? That's that's yeah. right. Yeah, I'm not. I can't remember if there was a base rent or not. And then the last one was for the bigger sort of blue chip um, anchors of their scheme. Let's say where you've got a John Lewis or whatever it may be. I think the move is therefore that they would then have a base rent, but the leases would be uh, much shorter. And I think again, um, there's option to move to a, a turnover structure as well. So that in the retail world is um, huge. It's um, a big deal because whilst a lot of landlords are doing some of that, um, they're not publicizing it. And for someone of that status to publicize it, it kind of really highlights that um, now we're here to change. And Mm -hmm. as an industry, we really need to acknowledge that it needs to be a true partnership. It can't just be the landlord they're asking for its rent every quarter upward only rent reviews you know and by the way I work for a landlord I'm not saying this in a way that you know poor tenants yeah, it's just yeah. got to be a bit bit more of a um let a part well it's, 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 a, it's a share of the risk for the reward, isn't it? Yeah. exactly yeah. yeah yeah exactly that and um it, it's 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 almost turning that from an investment business to almost one of a trading business where mm. they're fully in well not fully involved but they are more involved with the day-to-day of of what's going on and do yeah. you, like although that's obviously a, a good thing because if they don't do that maybe they risk just not having any tenants at all um but on the other side you might feel that some investors might feel that well hold on the whole reason i'm I've, I've gone into this is so that we can have the the kind of slightly less uh, operational day-to-day running of a of a um, of a site because obviously with that it's going to mean more work for people working for mm. that that landlord who've got to go through and check on right what is the turnover of this company and, yeah. and go through I'm sure there'll be some some issues with that as well so essentially it's it's increasing their operational costs as well uh, yeah, which, which which will have an effect. So it, I I think it's a it's a great decision by LNG um, and and the other the other landlords that have come about and it's it it just shows how they've adapted, doesn't it? To it and yeah, have been quite proactive and and. I'd be really interested to see actually what the valuers have said to LNG to form the basis of really? that decision because there has to be pressure on the valuers now to embrace this um, this because, new way of... of because normally things. it would just be done on the covenant and, and lease strength, i.e., like you said, no sort of upward-only rent reviews, no break clauses, that type of thing. So obviously we've, we've kind of already seen it in maybe some of the, the 
um, smaller independent stuff where your typical 20 year lease has gone down to a 10 and now almost like seven and five are really mm. kind of the, the mm. norm. Um, but it's, it's quite interesting to see how that's kind of coming on, on the other side of things and, and what yields these uh, values, like you said, what, what they yeah. can do and cap rates and things like that. So, yeah, um, I mean, it, it, it takes someone like LNG who've got a big enough balance sheet probably to be able to test the water yeah. in that because if you're a smaller scale um, landlord, it's, it, you could... It could it could hurt you quite a lot if you've got sort of like yeah. on certain um, on certain assets as well. And I don't necessarily think that turnover is always the answer. Um, I you know there are instances where your customers um, your tenants will be turning over so much that it doesn't really make sense to penalise them in order to hold up other people within your portfolio. Um, mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, the, there has to be a balance and I just think there needs to be more. Well, there, there is. And I, I know a lot of people are changing and adapting, but there needs to be more emphasis on the landlord to really understand their destination, the consumer, um, what value they can add, how they can be responsible for, for bringing people to the, the destination and driving footfall in different ways. I mean, again, a lot of there's a lot of amazing retail landlords out there that you know really understand that Vista are a great example of yeah. um, really pioneering the retail environment um, I mean some of their leases are not friendly but um, they get bums on seats <laughs> you know yeah. Vista is one of the most well I think the most successful shopping center in the world or one of them um, so it speaks volumes really I think um, I think Vista is one of two places that I will actually go with my wife shopping uh, <laughs> Like vol- I will, vo- I will volunteer myself, and and, and the other one is Costco. <laughs> so that kind of tells Which you. Which is the other one? Sorry, I missed that. Costco. Oh, Costco, <laughs> right? <laughs> oh, I'm just always amazed that it, it, it's 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 a bit like Aldi's Middle Aisle, but on steroids. It's just you. Oh yeah, I love like, Costco. Uh, uh, it's all those like muffins and cakes. Yeah, and like, exactly. combined bulk. <laughs> It's a amazing. Vista sit in the middle of the coffee while everyone else shops. And yeah, Vista's incredible. It's a, it's a real sort of day out, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. And it's it's a bit like if you go. I don't know if you if you. I know on your um, podcast you've mentioned sort of New York and some other place mm. destination places. Um, in in California, I know a lot of the um, shopping malls are outdoors, and it it always reminds me of of, of Vista yeah. as well. How it's done up, and it's just a a nice a nice sort of I think that's exactly what they want they they are and they've they've designed them to feel like that actually um yeah yeah, I don't know if you've ever listened to one of Scott's um he does quite a lot of um speaking and he's he's an amazing amazing person he gets retail that's for sure yeah 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 well no I'd definitely go back and have another listen of that now in terms of then we talked about shopping centers there where do you feel that these big name shopping centres, so for example, you know, Into has just gone under. I mean, where did they go wrong? Because if you look at the share price for the last five years, it has just been sort of plummeting nonstop. Do you think they just it was a case that they just didn't adapt or they couldn't adapt or how could they what could they have done? It's 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 a tricky one. And do you think that 
shopping centres uh, or shopping malls even, these big indoor areas. Do you think they're a thing of the past now or what do you think is going to happen with those? Mm. I think the thing with Into is there's so many complexities around what's happened and I probably wouldn't want to comment um, on the failure of it because it's... Um, you know, when you when you're not in a business, you don't necessarily understand the intricacies and the pressures from investors um, yeah. or whatever it may be. I think, you know, I I like Intu's destinations. Um, it, it right now, if if you're heavily invested in one particular sector and that particular sector is struggling, mm. of course, there's going to be issues with your business. So, um, they've probably just been casualty to. Um, the systematic changes that are happening right now and you know had and had all sorts of pressures which meant that they couldn't necessarily navigate out of it as they'd probably wish to um, I think shopping centers as a general um, whilst you know it's not they're not a new thing they've been around for, for many years they you know they got to a stage and then they just haven't evolved past that um, and I actually think, and it's a bit of a bold thing to say this, but I actually think sometimes there's too much retail mm. um, in any one city. Uh, you, know, you know, why do we need 15, 20 of any one store in a city? Um, it just doesn't quite make sense. Um, so I think perhaps shopping centres have, they've just over prescribed something that, you know, demand and consumer habits have changed. Um, Westfield, I think when they came to the UK, oh my gosh, that was amazing. Like their take on a shopping center was like going to Disneyland. It was just amazing. I remember first going into Westfield and thinking, wow, this is amazing. You know, the floor to ceiling heights were just incredible. The stores looked beautiful. It was all uniform. Um, you just felt really clean and, it, the, the way that they sort of orchestrate the public realm, it's really clever. But, you know, in recent years, Westfield have also struggled um, and, and still continue to struggle with um, the Westfield of London site leasing the extension there. So there's an argument that consumer habits are just changing at lightning speed. And um, what we now want isn't necessarily, you know, they're not necessarily catering for that. And, in, a, in high streets, you can perhaps adapt slightly easier than you could. You can adapt a shopping centre, perhaps, because it's just so vast. Um, I, I don't really know what the answer is. I think um, on the flip side of that, Westfield also uh, are amazing. They've got some really incredible concepts in in their um, centres. You know, like Kidzania. I mean, that place is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just unbelievable it is absolutely huge and they do things on a scale that no one else can do yeah. um and that's not just in the uk but also you know around the world and um I, I think there's there's so much for them there's so much space for them to evolve and really adapt what they're going to do going forward i mean there were, i think there was a press release a couple of weeks ago about them moving into co-working space mm -hmm. I mean, that's interesting. I'm not sure it's the answer, but that's really interesting. Yeah. Um, it's like, what do you do with these, you know, huge, huge, 100,000 square foot shops? That's the thing, isn't it? It's, it's, such it's a quite scary. Space. Yeah. 
it's not like repurposing a like you say a, a high street shop <laughs> it's so different so so different i, I, I feel for them because um you know it's it's a hard task but then you know their footfall when you look at it is incredible they're, they're still really really relevant destinations so um you know I, I think it's more about the tertiary secondary yeah. shopping centers in your you know perhaps Sat your northern cities or, yeah. yeah yeah that are not necessarily needed anymore i mean you go to Manchester or Leeds or what not they're not secondary in any way but you know they have two or three shopping centers within one yeah. city center and it that's mind-boggling really yeah yeah no I totally agree with that um so again you kind of touched on on this part in terms of a lot of people are kind of starting to say now that the high street is shrinking or is going to shrink just because really there's too much of it there like you said um if you agree with that, where do you then think people are going to be heading on, I don't know, a Saturday afternoon? Where's, where's the footfall going to be going and what type of, uh, of sites are going to be getting, uh, benefiting from that? Um, I think this is relevant now, even post-COVID, the same extent as what it was before COVID, but... Um, people still want to go out it's not as if people are just sat at home they're not people you know still want to go out still want to engage I think people are just wanting to spend their money in different ways um, and something that I've noticed and it's well documented I mean, everyone says this but experience is key um, and also wellness as well so the wellness industry is absolutely rocketed and I still think that it's got some way to go um, and especially post-COVID, people are going to want to look after themselves and be more conscious around health yeah. and, you know, keeping fit, etc. Um, experience can factor into a lot of sectors. So whether that's restaurants or cinema or um, theatres or competitive socialising, um, it, it, it bleeds into all of those. And it, it just means that, you know, experience is key public realm also actually I think that's really important you know people want to be in spaces that are um nice and yeah. it sounds simple but you know um there are shopping centers where they absolutely champion that and they've got outdoor activities for families and whatever it may be I think those kind of destinations will keep attracting people it's like when you go on holiday and you want to be by the sea it's, it's yeah. the same thing, isn't it? It's, it's you want to be in a nice, um, a nice setting. And it's interesting, you, you mentioned um, the competitive kind of social side. I've, I've just, <laughs> this always reminds me of this axe throwing place in Vauxhall or something. These oh, I've been. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's, or, or the golf places and things like that. But it's so true, like these things are, are coming up and it's, it's kind of interesting. You went from kind of, I don't know, like, 20 years ago everyone would just go to pubs and then yes. coffee shops became the big thing and, and now it's all right well let's go instead of just having a coffee or a beer we'll go and do it throwing an do axe something yeah. yeah yeah that seemed to be a big thing and and maybe that's where the spaces are can be can be repurposed i, d I don't know but yeah i think gaming as well is um yeah. a, a part of the market that we don't necessarily provide for um it's a really strong market around the world i mean i can't remember the exact fact but someone told me yesterday that 
the prize money for one of these competitions was more than like Wimbledon or whatever uh, and that's bonkers I mean the, the people that tune in uh, to to these gaming events are like within the millions and you know there there are now concepts where um you can go and watch people game which is it's like a spectator sport as well as partake in them like competitive socializing so um it's funny because you know years ago when you look back when i was younger it sounds like it's just a modified amusement center <laughs> but it's way more high-tech than that i'm probably not the right person to be promoting gaming but um it's it's something that i read about quite a lot because i just think the you know the youth of today are um obsessed with that and again whilst i am not that person i think it's a really sort of relevant sector to watch out for and so with that then do you how do you think um if we if you've got landlords out there at what point do you think they should be looking to repurpose a retail unit um whether it's to a competitive social angle or a gaming angle or something like that and um and what do you think that they should consider before they pull the trigger on that gosh um I mean, traditionally, you'd try and market something, and if you can't market it, then you'd think, right, what what else can we do? Um, but I think more active asset management is understanding your consumer, your demographic, and what is um, what's relevant right now, and also then understanding the buildings that you're you're managing. So, um, you know, if you have heavily listed buildings, it's it's going to be quite challenging for you to get extract ducts in or power supplies, whatever it may be, floor loading. Um, so you just need to understand your asset really um, and, and, and really ask those questions, ask your team, um, what can the building do? Um, and then planning, I guess, has always been a real issue for this particular topic, but um, I'm sure you've seen in the press that as of September, the planning is getting reformed which is so welcomed on so many levels. Um, and this will mean that all of um, commercial basically falls into the new E class. So you yeah. won't have A through to D, you will have E. Um, which, when I'm looking at it, I think that's good. I mean, the local authorities are still going to have some power over extract. You'll still have to go get approvals for those kind of things. Um, and I, I can't help but think that there will be some councils that question this um, because they are losing, you know, they are losing power over, over destinations and curating those destinations and ensuring that um, they're, uh, you know, robust destinations going forward. But I think that it, in terms of from a landlord, that gives us a lot of freedom and flexibility. Um, going forward so I think that we still need to really understand the impact of it and again there's been some talk about this boiling um, back to value and you know typically well years ago an A3 planning consent would be worth more than A1 in some destinations so um, that really won't be applicable going forward and you know for, for where I work we're, we're not just going to turn everything into restaurants therefore you know you still need to understand what's the best thing to do for that location and have data to back that up as well I think the data thing is is really important um, 
Definitely. Yeah. yeah. I think you made a, a really interesting point there on more active asset management. And I think that's that's just everything at the moment, isn't it? Yeah. Every kind of asset, everything seems to be having to be managed more in the way that hospitality is managed, but even when you're not in the hospitality. Oh, oh gosh, industry. yes. Um, certainly even for residential we're finding that oh my god the amount of legislation that's in, involved now and the turnover of tenants how people are much more transient they don't stay mm-hmm. in one location for longer and and again on, on lots of commercial properties the same can be said for that so asset management is starting to become a much much bigger factor in all real estate um, investment from, from yeah. what I can see um, but obviously people need to be aware of that and understand that with that comes cost um, but it's about it's always about the end uh, the net result isn't it if you if you, yeah. you go down that route can you get it back and I think I've always said um, when you're looking at that you look at the reward versus the risk but also the effort and time <laughs> stress involved which is a huge factor and people often forget about that it's, look okay let's go into this if you want to increase the reward, you've usually got to increase the risk or the effort mm-hmm. and stress. And um, and some people, some investors aren't willing to do that, uh, increase that, that effort and stress. And so that's when you can see, right, things can, can go wrong. It's not because they're yeah. not willing. It's maybe like you touched on earlier, they're beholden to shareholders or it's part of a fund and they've got mm-hmm. to go through the motions to do it. And so I think also one of the, the, the terms you used before was pivot and adaptability. And that's huge as well at the moment, because if you're slow to react, you can yeah. get left behind, um, mm-hmm. even even in these kind of what we, we've always thought are fairly slow moving industries, but yes. are clearly not at the moment, are they? Um, no, it's quite but, an exciting time really to be in property and retail. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's changing so fast. So yeah, it's, it's I, I just stressful. Well, okay. <laughs> I, find, I, find, I find it fascinating. Um, one of the other things I wanted to just quickly ask you about is um, recently in the news, we've been seeing things about an out, well, announcements about maybe other announcements to do with business rates um, on properties and possibly moving over to the landlord. Um, have you seen those and have you got any thoughts on that and will it just pass on to the tenant and is that actually going to do anything or you know I really wish I could um, sort out business rates <laughs> it just frustrates me um, I, I think I'd make it more of a I mean gosh I'm, I'm this is not me trying to pitch for being prime minister here because I know there's a whole of companies but um, I think you just need to make it much more straightforward Um, it needs to be a set I don't don't dispute that there should be a a, a cost but it needs to be a set cost and um, therefore it'd be a lot it'd be a lot more of an easier institution to run if there was a set amount that was taxed to the to the tenant I think is fair Um, and then everybody you know perhaps you would sit in certain bands and it would be paid whatever monthly quarterly um and i think that would just be fairer for for um for customers i mean you only look at other cities across the world and we fall short every single time a retailer wants to um relocate or whatever 
when we look at occupancy costs because our occupancy costs absolutely in most cases are higher than what the the profit will be the turnover sorry so um it, it, it's really frustrating because i can i can see how we've ended up here i really can um you know traditional ways of doing things but it, it really needs reform um I, I don't think personally that landlords should pick up this cost because the services that it pays for is is you know to to make the the local environment um cleaner safer etc especially here in central london anyway um but it just needs to be really transparent it needs to be fair i mean local councils of you know they need the money i get it but it, it just the whole thing needs looking at um i wish i wish i could sort it out but well, <laughs> you can you can do um the rates and i'll deal with stamp duty because that's well okay yeah the, the two <laughs> <laughs> equally frustrating yeah yeah it is it is. I'm hoping though, sorry, I'm hoping throughout all of this that it's highlighting these things to government that just don't work. Well, exactly. And do you know what's so frustrating is, um, so in Scotland, I think it was, they never accepted electronic signatures at the land registry and suddenly this happens and they've been trying to do it for three years and this happens and they've miraculously managed to sort it out within two weeks and it it's just bad, so, isn't it? like so many inefficiencies but mm -hmm. like you said now might be the time to kind of get it done yeah um but yeah fingers crossed for that um that's been brilliant Leanne. thank you so much for coming oh, thank you Thanks um, for asking is, me. There, is there anything else you want to kind of discuss that you think is relevant to retail no i think we we covered most bases actually i think it's um it's a really challenging time as you'd imagine to work in the sector and you've got to find uh dig deep and find some energy that you <laughs> didn't otherwise have to keep going but i do believe that um you know people always want to buy things um that's never going to change it's just it's a systematic change that was coming anyway and covid has just ripped the band-aid off this um yeah. and we've still got amazing retailers that are championing and championing and, and surviving so um yeah interesting place to be i will definitely put a uh, link to your podcast as well retail is dead which I advise Thank our you. listeners to to have a have a listen of, and that's on all the usual kind of um, platforms, yeah. Spotify and Apple, etc. Um, and yeah, thank. Just wanted to say thank you again, and thanks so much for coming on. It's been it's been brilliant, and I've certainly learned a lot more about retail. <laughs> um, not that my knowledge was very was very big on it before, but I'm yeah. sure. Very. <laughs> thank thanks you. So much. Please join me next time for more detailed discussions about property on The Rodcast.